my spiritual director said to me one time, you know, Circle of Grace is like an elephant orphanage. People come who are spiritually wounded and they get healed and they go back to their tribe. Or if they aren't, if they don't feel like they can go back to their tribe, they stay. And so, you know, we have a lot of people who come through who are pretty wounded um, by the institution. And, and as they're here and able to claim their own understandings and the way they use language and the way they see stories and the way that they are accepted, they often will move back into um, the traditions of, of their youth, um, being able to take what's good from it and leave behind what they need to. Connie Tuttle tells her story in her book, A Gracious Heresy, The Queer Calling of an Unlikely Prophet. It's time for Progressive Spirit. Stay with us. Progressive Spirit is produced every week. It couldn't happen without the financial support of my congregation, Southminster Presbyterian Church in Beaverton, Oregon. Southminster's website is www.southmin.org. Progressive Spirit is produced in the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon for the Pacifica Radio Network and PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, as well as podcast. Show KBOO some love, won't you? KBOO.FM and click Donate. From the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon for the Pacifica Radio Network and PRX, the Public Radio Exchange and Community Global Radio, this is Progressive Spirit, ProgressiveSpirit.net. I'm John Shuck. My guest is Connie Tuttle, Connie Lee Tuttle. She is a pastor of the Circle of Grace, a small progressive ecumenical feminist Christian house church in Atlanta, Georgia. After seminary and before founding the church with a group of spiritual renegades, she directed the Atlanta Hunger Walk and later worked with the Southern Prisoners Defense Committee. She's committed to social justice and has a passion for cooking and providing hospitality. And she's the author of the book that we're going to discuss today, which is really her life, uh, Gracious Heresy, The Queer Calling of an Unlikely Prophet. And she's with me via Skype from Atlanta, Georgia. Connie, welcome to Progressive Spirit. Thank you. Nice to be here. Okay, I'm going to start with this one. Connie, it's been laid on my heart to tell you that you're going to hell. <laughs> and I know you're going to laugh because that, that was that line came out in the book and I thought, oh my gosh, that's just lovely. Of all of the piety and the strangeness dripping in that sentence, how did you handle that in your heart when you heard people say that to you? <laughs> well, you know, in my heart... I was at first angry, and I thought that the gentleman was being incredibly arrogant, but I also felt like it was like an opening conversation, and I was, it, it began, you know, I, I entered seminary, and this happened in seminary, with this idea that I wanted to hold intention, being both prophetic and being pastoral, because I knew what I was dealing with is that mostly when people talk about sexuality differences, uh, that it's fear-based. I mean, they're afraid of either sin or they're afraid of themselves or they're afraid of, of um, the other being different and not understanding it. So I, I went in with this idea that I was going to be really pastoral. So um, how I responded to that was... was um, after I, I was holding and while I was holding in my body sort of the um, the meanness of it and, and the hurt of it, uh, I, I didn't really feel challenged by it. I, it never has ever occurred to me in my life that I was going to hell. Um, and at this point in my life, I don't even believe in hell, which is another issue altogether. And I don't think I did then either. So it felt awful. And yet I felt prepared because I'd already made a decision of how I wanted to walk with that kind of attitude. You know, as as I read that sentence, just, just all kinds of things flooded over me from memories of... of, of uh working with people or, or engaging, I guess, as you have with 
with this with this pious veneer laid on my heart. You know, I'm going to pray for you. Bless your heart. All of that stuff. And then just the actual meanness and evil and arrogance coming out of the same mouth, um, the same mouth that talks about all of this pious language about God. It makes it would make anyone, I think, run away from church as fast as they can. Yeah, I uh, and I think a lot of people have run away from church as fast as they can. I, the church was the only context that I had for figuring out this call that I had experienced that I didn't have any way of thinking about it except through the church. Um, and that's a grace and also a, uh, an, an ungrace, <laughs> a challenge. Um, but yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Uh, you, uh, in your book, you say, I'm Connie Lee Tuttle, Call me Slumgullion. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just a little bit of everything. I think um, I'm a third culture kid, which is a new term. Uh, I was raised overseas in a couple of different contexts. I'm an army brat. So one of the things I have realized recently um, is that like, I lived in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as an army brat a very uh, profoundly unusual life in that I lived in a completely integrated culture. Um, and I'm just now going, hey, that wasn't a common experience. And so that gave me a very different way of being in the world and how I, how I even saw this country. That's what I thought America was. Uh, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> and... So all of my experiences sort of keep me wide open. I don't know what else to say. Um, I've had, I feel like I've had the good fortune of living overseas. Um, I've had the good fortune of living all over this country, south, north, the Pacific Northwest, the, you know, the West in general. Um, and all of that, you know, you can't, be exposed to all kinds of things and be a part of all different kinds of communities and not have it keep you open. Otherwise, it's, you know, I would shut down to all kinds of things about myself. You know, one thing I noticed in, in reading your book that you, you, it's very you're, you're very transparent uh, uh, about yourself, about your life, but I didn't notice a lot of self doubt about being a lesbian. In other words, maybe you did, but I I, I didn't see that in terms of I, you 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 certainly battled on uh, with 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 other people who wanted to put you in a box and and make that identity something, but you never for yourself or did you. Uh, say, God, why did you make me this way? And 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 wrestle with all of the oftentimes self self incrimination to take it within the the, the uh, you know the the accusations of of not being with God and all of that. Yeah, I you know one of the things I say is sometimes I feel like I slap around in this big old puddle of grace. <laughs> I, I I never you know. I th and I think I might have put this in the book. Um, when I came out, like there was a part of me that was like singing the doxology inside that was saying, thank you, God, for like letting me figure out who I am. This is great. Um, so I, and that is the grace I think that I offer um, people who, as, as a pastor and as a friend and as a, just a person in the world that, that you can exist uh, without that uh, horrific, uh, not only self-doubt, but I often find people have self-hatred. Um, and that feels uh, sort of anti-God. Um, so, yeah, I didn't have that, and I have no explanation 
for it. Uh, at some point I thought, well, maybe I'm just like a, a, a sociopath and I don't, you know, I don't have those feelings of guilt, but I, that actually that's not true because I have feelings of guilt about lots of things, but not about who I am much more about, um, poor choices in, in my behavior towards other people or times that I have lacked compassion or, you know, those kinds of things I feel really bad about. But about me, I, that's just not been a part of my story. I'm speaking with uh, Connie Tuttle, if you're just joining us. She's a minister and the author of A Gracious Heresy, The Queer Calling of an Unlikely Prophet, Throughout uh, the book, uh, you you, uh, you speak easily and to me, and, and this is this is a uh, this is something I envy. You speak evil easily of God. Can can you tell me uh, about about your experience uh, of of God? How how you happen to come to know who God is early on? Um. Yeah, you know. God was never an old man sitting in a cloud to me. Uh, there was always something very experiential about God. Uh, I probably would have been a, a great Celtic Christian as a child, <laughs> you know, that I experienced God in um, the entire world around me and people and um, in, in the concept of love and, and I, I have to hand that to my mom, to the women in my life, um, who, who really modeled for me um, that no one is outside of God's love and that that is um, the first and the final uh, and the test for everything is, is the action uh, loving, not as a feeling, but as um, just and kind um, and, and I don't feel like it's loving just, uh, parenthetically to have something laid on your heart to tell someone they're going to hell. This, uh, I, that is not loving, although I think he would have said that was. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I was just had this, um, this freedom to experience God. And the other thing that happened is I know I was a kid that asked a lot of questions. And I also know that nobody uh, in, in my family um, tried to give me an answer. And so that also freed me up a, a great deal. Or if I, if I went off down a path that I wasn't jerked back, um, you know, I, I can remember having a conversation with my mom once saying, I heard human beings are animals. I was maybe four or five. And she said, yep. And I said, wow, well, then I want to be a deer. No, wait a minute. I want to be a skunk. No, wait a minute. I want. <laughs> and she never, like, called me back and said, no, that's not what it means to be an animal. She let that kind of let me ride off on my imagination. Um, I guess she figured I'd learned sooner or later that I wasn't going to be a deer. <laughs> but there, there was a freedom in how God was um, just an everyday part of our lives. And he, and he really, had the relationship with your parents, too, um, seemed, seemed to, as you're just talking there, but, but even when you uh, take the moment at some point later on, you come out to them, you tell them who you are, that you're gay, and you're worried about it, but it's almost like a non-issue, or is it? When you told your parents, was that what, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the issue for them was that they had to figure it out what it meant, but it was never the issue of, are we going to love you, or are we going to accept you? Um, I think that for my dad, there was a moment of, what does this mean for my grandchild? Like, is this, you know, is this going to be bad for, for my grandchild, my daughter? Um, but uh, always there was not ever, there was not the question of whether or not they would love me. Um, I asked my mom, who was definitely the more churched person, my dad didn't go to church, 
um, if she wanted me to give her resources to read, and she said yes. Um, but I will also say she moved up and lived with me for like 13 years before she passed away. And, and um, in that time, we had a really good uh, transgender friend who um, had a, a horrific bicycle accident and broke her hip. And, and my mom said, well, she needs to be on the first floor, so let her come stay with me. And she, they lived together there for nine months while um, our friend was healing. And that was never a, a question for her. Um, so again, her attitude toward me, her attitude toward all these things, even like in her eighties and nineties, um, that were not something she grew up thinking about or knowing about was the test is love. Am I loving this person? And God will sort out the rest of it. (laughs) You, um, talk about, uh, the vows you made, uh, at your, when you were baptized, um, and you said that uh, the vows I made were not casual vows. Uh, c- can you talk about about that? Those the the vows that 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 you are um, about as a minister, and, and you kind of had to learn this in a sense from I don't know is this right from a vacuum almost. I mean, it wasn't like it was a lot of church instruction about all of this, or was there? Well, you know, yes and no. Um, I went to church as a child every Sunday, but we went to the uh, church that was on post, and um, whatever the tradition of that minister was, was how we worshiped, and Sunday school was, um, you, you know, wonderful and good, and I learned the stories, and um but it had to it had to be okay inclusive of everyone of all the kids there so that it didn't tend to be incredibly doctrinal um so yeah i was churched i mean i was in church all the time i did not miss a sunday but it was not a, a denominational experience of church. And so there wasn't the heavy-duty doctrine. We were there for a different reason. Um, and I forgot your question, John. Well, you know, my question really was is that I, 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 it's your call not only for your baptism, but to, 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 uh, to be a minister um, came out of a real uh, issues of, of justice. And, and I'm... I'm and I'm always curious where, where you where you. I was when reading, and where did you get all of that? How, how did you become a feminist and know about racism and and recognize it right away? There, there was uh, all the way through. You have a an aspect of being baptized. That was the 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 passage was on baptism, but it was actually for you as an understanding. You know, not of being saved or whatever, but really of uh, being a person of integrity and 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 working for the good of the world. Well, that's a, that's a really good question, and it, it's a really hard question. I'm I'm not. Uh, I'll try to answer it. Um, you know, I have to go back to my mom and that idea of justice and love. You know, are completely intertwined. If if you care for someone, then they cannot be mistreated. Um, and then from from my dad, who, you know, he was a World War II vet and a Korean War vet, and his the way he saw the world um, after, you know, being years in uh, combat was that that the reason he was there was to fight evil and truly the evil of the Holocaust, um, and. And so somehow that all got meshed together for me, um, that to, to, to be faithful had to do with um, loving and standing against evil, which I think comes together as justice. You know, uh, in, when you write about your struggles with, uh, the seminary and and the uh, 
the ecclesiastical authorities. I, I, I was so depressed about, um, again, <laughs> about how shallow they all were. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it was so, it's so obvious that you bring to this. I mean, the, the difference between being, and you write this in the book about being pious and being righteous, you know, um, tell me about that. Do you know what I'm talking about, the pious and righteous? I remember when you, you was in school when a professor was telling you about the, the choices, how we can be in life. And uh, and certainly the, the the professors and all of that kind, not all of them, of course, but, but so many of them, so concerned with the piety part of it. And you're saying, hey, you know, why don't you ask me questions about, you know, justice? Right. Yeah, that was, you know, it's it's really hard when, the people who you expect to admire. And I, I came almost as a supplicant because I was just hungry for learning um, and to, to find the, to encounter the clay footedness of piety. I think piety, I, I, and I'm probably not being fair here, but like, I don't know where it gets you. I just don't. I don't know what the spiritual payoff is for being pious. I think it turns other people off. I think it makes you deny your humanity. And I know, I actually, as I'm saying that out loud, I know it's not fair, but that's just my feeling stuff. But being righteous is like doing all the stuff Jesus did. Being righteous is, you know, like bringing children to you and it's about embracing lepers and it's about forgiving people for and, 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 and embracing people whose sins have appeared to be sexual and challenging cultural norms. That um, That's the kind of righteousness I was expecting from the institution. Now, I, you know, I'm... I'm matured a little bit since then and I understand that you know institutions necessarily have to perpetuate themselves or not but um, <laughs> but yes I I was astounded by this uh, and again this is probably has to do with not having been raised in a denomination had had that happened I may have had a very different uh, understanding of it. Um, well, it, you know, that might make you more, far more interesting. I mean, had you been uh, raised, you might have just been beaten down by it. I mean, this, um, you, you called out the president, you know, your concern is economics. If you let me stay here, graduate from here, you're afraid of financial giving to this institution will suffer. And I was like, yeah, you said it. How did that feel to say it? Oh, well, it, you know, it felt two ways inside, like I was shaking like a leaf and outside I was trying to be pastoral and prophetic, that conundrum again. Uh I didn't say it. I I said it sort of in a, um, not in a deeply, it was confronted by the, just the words but I wasn't jumping up and down at the table. I was saying, you know, I think that that the issue here isn't my morality. It is your financial um, uh, concerns or however I put it. But um, I, I think speaking truth to, to power, which, and they had the power to kick me out or, or whatever um, was, pretty scary and yet I felt like needed to say what needed to be said now I later found out that they wouldn't have kicked me out because they were afraid I was going to sue them if they did which was the farthest thing from my mind I was walking through this you know with just assuming everything was what it appeared to be yeah well that makes me even feel worse about them um the uh you know, as I'm, th- I'm just thinking of the, these institutions and and uh, and all that you went—I mean, having to meet with the president every day and or every week or or whatever—and all of this stuff and and all being about you and all being about this one part of you that isn't all of you, and people mm-hmm. thinking of it all the time. Um, 
but you had an impact. You had an incredible impact. In fact, I want to talk about one of the metaphors one of your uh, uh, professors uh, said uh, about being a stone, uh, being tossed into the pond. You'll sink to the bottom, not knowing the ripples you've caused to reach the shore. Um, but you have seen some of those ripples, haven't you? I really have. I really have. Um, and I know at the end of the book that I talk about um, the 223rd General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church um, affirming LGBTQAI, etc., uh, in the full inclusion of of the church, which I, I find astounding. Uh, Twenty, how many ever years later, almost thirty. But I'll tell you a story that's not in the book. Um, after the book came out, um, I met with uh, a woman who is now employed at at Columbia Seminary. And she said, you know, I'd really like you to come and 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 do a, a, a chapel one Wednesday. We have something called a forum. It's an informal worship service. And you could, you know, as long as we pray and, and sing a little bit, you can do a reading of your book. And and I'd like you to come. Now, we there's only about 10 or 12 people who show up, but that's, you know, I, I just think it would be important. I said, I, I would love to. That would be great. Well, 50 people came, which was also great. And the and they now have at Columbia Seminary many LGBT students there who are open and affirmed. And they may not get jobs, but they're the next wave. At the end of uh, the forum, the president of the seminary was there. And she stood up and she said, um, may I say something? And I said, absolutely, of course. And she said, I, I wasn't here when you were here, but I'd like to say on behalf of this institution, I am so sorry for what we put you through. Wow. I could never have imagined that day or that response. This is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm speaking with Connie Tuttle, author of A Gracious Heresy, The Queer Calling of an Unlikely Prophet. More to come. Stay with us. You're listening to the podcast version of Progressive Spirit. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podomatic, TuneIn, or whatever podcast app you use to listen and give Progressive Spirit five stars, won't you? Contact me through ProgressiveSpirit.net with your thoughts and ideas about the show. And be sure to share this podcast on your social media. Follow on Facebook and Twitter. The website, again, is ProgressiveSpirit.net. You're listening to Progressive Spirit, ProgressiveSpirit.net. I'm speaking with Connie Tuttle, author of A Gracious Heresy, The Queer Calling of an Unlikely Prophet. Yeah, you, you went through this... Um, struggle at seminary in the '80s when um, a lot of this conversation was 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 fairly new within the church and and fairly oh, silenced this right away. And so you, you and 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 the beauty of what you were doing is that there there was a there's a um, I don't know if it's a naivete, but it was I don't think it's that. But it was like here I am and this is my call and I'm not going to be silent about who I am. I'm not going to you know, necessarily parade it. I think I thought you wrote that or, but, but I'm, but I'm not going to just keep it quiet either. And, uh, and, and I think that that reverberated, um, beyond, um, beyond your own, your own self, uh, in, into the life of, of, of the church and the seminary. You, you really were a, a pebble that has made some ripples and they're still, they're still going. Well, thank you for that. I think I, I also say, you know, that that being called to be faithful doesn't ever guarantee measurable outcomes. And sometimes I felt like that it never made any difference in the world. And that was on the hard days. But I, I think you're right. I think that there have been some, a, there was a pebble dropped and there are some, some ripples that went to shore. And and just to follow up on the naivete, um, you you actually have that right, and I still at this 
uh, ancient age, uh, find myself to be naive on on many things, and so I just have to claim that I don't. I don't think you're wrong about that. <laughs> well, I, I think there's some, uh, we call it naive, but I think it's really being a person of integrity, uh, you know, and just saying um, what's real uh, despite the opposition. Um, you, right at the very beginning of the book, uh, there, there's a, a, a cynicism and hope. I mean, and we have that within ourselves, right? On one level, when we're facing in the battle, uh, we get cynical and we get hope within, within the same minute sometimes. Um, that do you, do you still go through that? Um, yes, I do. Um, I, I think it's, um, you know, I, I do talk about in the book about, uh, the Enneagram and, and, uh, that I'm a four on the Enneagram and one of our what's, what's that mean? Are you going to tell what, what is a four? Uh, an, an Enneagram is a, it's, it is an an ancient system that a, a, a Christian mystic came up with that is now still used in um, in Christian spirituality that um, has a, you're a, a number on a wheel and what um, and, I mean it's very complicated but basically it's based on what it is that motivates you so that you know yourself what what it is that motivates you and then how um, to act and work towards a, a redemptive way of being who you are, not to be somebody else, but to be it in a in a redemptive way. And so, um, my my challenge is uh, in that the enneagram and that I resonate with is that um, I struggle with not feeling like I am enough. Uh, enough of a good pastor, enough of a good, you know, writer, enough of a good mom, all of those not enough things. And that, um, so that's still my challenge. And in uh, the moments that I am centered and, and, and in my redeemed self, uh, I recognize that I'm enough and that what I have done is enough and what I'm am doing is enough. And, um, uh, and that is my challenge. <laughs> yeah, and 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 saying that saying that uh, is helpful for those of us who read it, who go through these same kinds of things, but don't have a name to put on it, you know. Um, and and, uh, and and that provides uh, permission to feel however it is we feel, as well as hey, here's another here's another person who's been on the journey with me, and and she's done this. Uh, maybe I can too. Well, I would hope it would offer, you know, my hope is really that the story can offer grace because this world is in sad need of, of grace and and grace for ourselves as well as uh, extending grace to, you know, all of those around us. Your book is called, your, 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 uh, the house church is called uh, Circle of Grace. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we are heading into our 26th year, and um, we have morphed and changed uh, all over the years. Um, it, it began I, after I got out of seminary, and I was doing social justice work, but I'm, I'm just not an administrator. That's not my gift, um, and it's not my, my call, and so I was trying to figure it out, and I um, put up some flyers, and I I started teaching um, just with groups of people who would come in, um, uh, uh, women at this point, um, on, on Christian feminist theology and spirituality. And I did it, you know, several times over several months. And some of the folks came back and said, we don't want to just talk about this. We want to do this. And so we got together and decided how we were going to do it. And, and um, one of the first things we did when we talked about Circle of Grace was say, how do we name ourselves if naming is important? And, and the circle piece was as important as the grace piece. The circle piece was that we were going to be non-hierarchical, that 
everybody had a place in the circle and we may have different gifts and we may bring different things to the table, but that, that the power of the community would be shared. Um, and that was a very important part to me to be a point on the circle <clears throat> rather than the center or the, you know, mm-hmm. in, in some kind of pyramid pattern. And the other was grace. And, and the conversation was, you know, if everyone was welcome, who would not be welcomed, you know, and we went through it. And what if, what if this person came, what if a, what if a Nazi came, you know, what if someone came who was naked? What if so, you know, all these kind of, we just brainstormed, would anybody not be welcome? Um, to the point that if, if someone came who was naked, we always had someone who had a blanket in the back of the car. <laughs> we did never have a naked person show up, but we were ready um, so that no one would feel um, unwelcome. And, and even though it was really painful for us to say, what about a Nazi? What about a child molester? Um, decision was as long as they were not disruptive of the service of of the community um, that there would be always a place at the table and we had that challenged in different ways and I'm going to tell that story uh, in the book I'm working on now um, about some of the different challenges that and, and graces that the community experienced. So you're working on a book uh, that uh, kind of goes after this, this book, A Gracious Heresy? Yes. Okay. So I won't get, I won't, I'll probe a little bit. Uh, so you have been uh, 20, 26 years with this, with this community. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, and, and, it, and you say it's a house, it's meaning you don't have a building or? No, we don't have a building. And, We've never been large. I mean, I think at, at our largest, we were between 25 and 30 worshiping every Sunday. Uh, at our smallest, we were probably three, and we said, you know, we're never three or more gathered together. Um, right now, we hover between eight and ten. Uh, it changes. Our, um, our you know, uh, actually, the working title of my next book is Circling Grace, Tales from an Elephant Orphanage. Uh, and my spiritual director said to me one time, you know, Circle of Grace is like an elephant orphanage. People come who are spiritually wounded and they get healed and they go back to their tribe. Or if they, aren't, if they don't feel like they can go back to their tribe, they stay. And so, you know, we have a lot of people who come through who are pretty wounded um, by the institution. And, and as they're here and able to claim their own understandings and the way they use language and the way they see stories and the way that they are accepted, they often will move back into um, the traditions of, of their youth, um, being able to take what's good from it and leave behind what they need to. A friend of mine is a, a Unitarian Universalist minister, and, and she said similar things about the community that she pastors, that it's kind of sometimes collects people from, you know, who've been alienated from whatever tradition, and some, some stay and some go, uh, depending on what they need. It's a, it's a, it's a place of, uh, for some, a sojourn. For some, it becomes a permanent home, too. So, you know, I have to, as a Presbyterian minister uh, and a person of privilege in, in all ways, I find myself... Um, feeling very sad uh, that our denomination spent so long um, denying justice uh, and we lost so many qualified people, um, rejecting them from the church, sometimes just in in such a mean way, not only that, but, um, and so now the church, well, says, okay, everybody's in again. Do you keep up with the Presbyterian church? How do you feel about that, really? (laughs) Actually, you know, um, I do. I I have friends who are um, ministers in the Presbyterian Church. I have friends who are uh, Christian educators. I have friends who just attend uh, Presbyterian churches. 
uh, I have friends who attend Presbyterian churches and then occasionally come and worship with us. So, um, yeah, I do keep up with the Presbyterian church um, because I feel like my story is also a part of their story. Um, and their story is a part of mine. And so um, I have had someone say, well, now would you go back and would you be ordained in the Presbyterian church? And, and at this moment in my life, I'm saying, well, no, because I, I don't know that after all these years that I would work well within an, inst an institutional structure. Um, because some a lot of what I do is is theological exploration and liturgical exploration and um, and I don't know if I would have the freedom to do that. So I, I don't have a resentment about it, except and I will say this, except that you know I I, I won't have any retirement, <laughs> mm -hmm. which had I had that uh, been able to to be. Uh, uh, working in ministry in the Presbyterian Church, I might have been able to retire. And now I'm thinking that my call is just to, to walk until I can't walk anymore. So, uh, I, and I'm, that, I'm saying that uh, as a joke. I, it, it is the only thing at this stage in my life that I go, yeah, it would have been a little easier had I had a retirement plan. Hmm. <laughs> Connie Tuttle author of A Gracious Heresy, The Queer Calling of an Unlikely Prophet. Tell me about being a prophet. What is a prophet? Well, you know, a prophet is somebody who just won't shut up. <laughs> a prophet is somebody who stands for, um, for the oppressed and for the righteous and, and I, and, and who is willing to take onto their own bodies um, what is necessary to to um, speak and stand for God. And that makes me sound better than I am. Uh, one of the things I say is, you know, I, I when I talk about prophets, there are great prophets who have changed the course of history. I mean, there really are. And I think we could probably agree that Martin Luther King Jr. is one of them and that Nelson Mandela is one of them. I, I am not. I, I am not that kind of a prophet. But, but in whatever my sphere has been, I have done the standing and the speaking. And so that's what I, I mean. That, that, and there is this um, impelling. There's something... Uh, about my relationship with God that that won't let me shut up. Um, and um, when I was ordained by Circle of Grace and my um, mentor from seminary preached the sermon, I, I asked him to preach from Jeremiah where he said, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore, but there's a fire in me and I can't shut up. So to me, that not being able to shut up may be what it means to be a prophet for me. You know, theologian Matthew Fox talks about um, uh, recognizing that we that we all are prophets. We're all artists too, and 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 we, as as you said, uh, and you say in the book too, um, uh, it's not about doing a great work, but a million small tasks. That that the the prophetic call is that nudge within us to to. Uh, be that holy fool sometimes, isn't it? I mean, to go out and, and stand up to the president and say, hey, this is about economics, guy. I know yeah. you. Uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, even though it, it, it would be everybody would say, oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That's kind of it, it. But that we have to we all have that that urge and and, and um, so we just need to act on it sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me about Howard Thurman, Jesus and the Disinherited. Wow. Well, you know, that uh, intersects with my call. I, I had this uh, very frightening and persistent mystical experience that I interpreted as call. And so I went out everywhere I went. I was like asking anybody who I, I met somebody going to seminary. I met somebody in a church. I like, what does this mean? I don't know what to do with it. Um, and 
Interestingly enough, the, the feminist bookstore here in Atlanta, which is Karis Books and More, and as a Presbyterian, you will recognize Karis as the Greek for grace. Um, um, two of the members, uh, the founders of them, were women in seminary at the time, uh, which I find graceful and interesting. But one of them I went to and I said, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. And she handed me a copy of Jesus and the Disinherited and said, um, maybe you need to look at this. And I don't know that I've ever put it back down because it speaks to me every day in a profound way. How to deal with I mean, it's very simple. He talks about love, hate, fear, Jesus, and and in such a profound and insightful ways that, you know, when I'm feeling afraid, sometimes I'll go back and read that chapter on fear. And, and when I'm having a hard time loving someone, and I'm thinking about now in our political climate, um, I go back and read that, and, and it, 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 it helps me discern and, and know that love is not a feeling. Love is, as I said, and he says, the activity of justice. Um, and fear is the way that we are, um, that we are quieted, that our prophetic voice is quieted, and that our self-hatred is... Um, nurtured and so being afraid is is something that I have to challenge uh, all the time and I think all of us do but if if your listeners haven't read Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited I, I cannot rec- recommend it highly enough uh, he was a loving prophetic voice and a true scholar um, that I I will continue to admire for the rest of my life. Well, that obviously that stuck out for me when I read your book. I have his work too, and appreciated that book. And and as Christmas comes, I the, all of this mood of Christmas. He has such a lot of beautiful Christmas Advent poetry as well. <laughs> Uh, yes. about grace and justice. Um, I, uh, we're, we're getting close to the end, but I also want you to tell me about being a writer. Uh, you, this is a beautifully written book, and, uh, and, 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 was it, and you were in trouble. That's what I thought was the irony, I think. When, when, when one of your teachers you got, got in trouble, had to write an essay, and then your teacher said you should be a writer. Can you tell us about that story? <laughs> yes, um... Well, and I wrote, I got in trouble and I wrote this, I was told to write this essay of a thousand words. I was in seventh grade or eighth grade, I think. And I was so morally indignant. The first thing I was going like a thousand words. Oh my God. Cause when you're at that age, a thousand words seems like forever. Um, and, but I was so furious and I had this righteous indignation and I went home and boy, I think I, I turned out probably 12, 1300 words and I took it into her and um, I must have argued my point. Well, it didn't mean I wasn't still in, in trouble, but, um, but yeah, it was an affirmation more than a punishment for sure. And, and it was also like made me recognize that I had a voice and that I could, I could think and reason and use it and use my passion um, in in my writing. Now, I say that at my age now. I think that was a revelation that happened over time, but yes. Well, you know, and it also, as I read that, spoke of the importance of, of teachers and administrators and, and and the wise ones who, who recognized that and who did that and who affirmed that. Um, of all, all the different kinds of choices an administrator might make then, but to actually take the time to recognize your gift and and have that be a moment for you. How, how, that's so important for teachers or, or ministers, isn't it, of the effects that we have on people? Yes, and, and it's one of those places where I recognize where there are things I've done and said that have been graceful for others. It's also where I agonize. 
where I know that I have really screwed up, not intentionally, but that I have said things or done things that have not given um, the kind of encouragement uh, that would have, have made a difference in someone's life. Well, the heart of being a prophet is kind of having, someone said, a thinness of the soul, too. Uh, we, 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 we're, we're hard on ourselves, too, as we are... Um, as we deal with all of that, uh, how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the feeling bad about yourself? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that, John. I, I think that um, I have to, uh, you know, my centering prayer, I, I think I blogged about this recently, is, can be when I'm screaming in traffic and I have to take a breath and go, okay, how can I love that person? I think that when I'm feeling that way, it's like, how can I accept myself, know who I am, and move forward in a different way? I think that's the best that I can do sometimes. And, and I can do that because... I also think that um, that that the sacred accepts me and invites me to accept myself and also encourages me to move forward in a different way, uh, in a more redemptive way. And I asked you a whole lot of personal questions, and I did so. I, I probably just just because I find you to be very gracious and pastoral and a prophet and a person you can talk to all of those wonderful things and it comes out in your book a gracious heresy uh, the queer calling of an unlikely prophet uh, connie l tuttle connie lee tuttle as we say in tennessee or georgia yes. and uh also you have a tell me about your blog you also have a website i do I, and i blog every week it's called the gracious heretic the gracious and i blog about uh, politics, spirituality, uh, uh, justice. Stuff and, that and matters. Stuff that matters, at least that matters to me and that I think should matter to everybody. There's my should statement for the day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And we'll go with that. Connie Tuttle, thank you so much for uh, for all your important work and uh, and for hanging in there and for standing up at that presbytery meeting. And staying stood up, even though they did that vote against you, it was uh, impressive. And uh, so you stood up for a lot of people in doing that. Thank you uh, so much for being with me today. John, thank you for uh, having me, and thank you so much for the work you do. It is more important than you probably recognize. The website is progressivespirit.net. I'm John Shuck. Be well.